speak to us as we look particularly at the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Lord, as we look to your word to, to learn more about this, this person who's so dear to us and so near to us, would you open our hearts to understand him better? Yes, it's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the central themes, probably the, the most important theme in the unfolding storyline of Scripture is God dwelling with his people. That theme is there in the beginning. You see it in Genesis chapter 1, and it's at the end. You see it all the way in Revelation chapter 22, beginning to the end. It's this, the, the frame of Scripture. It's also the content of Scripture, God dwelling with his people. Over the last few weeks, you've heard from Josh, you've heard from Dustin Saunders, you've heard from Tim, and we're thankful to Kaleo Church for sharing Tim with us last week. Well, they've all done a faithful job opening up God's Word to us to teach us about the presence of God with us. Especially, and I think if you notice, especially as that idea of God's presence is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing as we consider this idea. We, as Christians, need to be careful to distinguish God's dwelling with His people from the idea of the omnipresence of God. All right, we're going to get a little bit theological today. All right, and just as as a word of help to you, if you are a note taker, don't take notes until we get to the end. All right, you'll you'll see on the screen three points, probably about halfway through the sermon. That's when you should take notes. Otherwise, you will be overwhelmed. Okay, because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in Scripture and. God's Word has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. But, but here's the thing, and the reason why I wanted to start this way, is that we have to distinguish God dwelling with His people personally from the omnipresence of God. God is both personal and omnipresent, isn't He? Scripture clearly teaches that God is personal, He's eminent, that means He's near, but it also teaches that He is everywhere. He's transcendent. And according to his omnipresence, God is just as much with us here as he is with stars and a galaxy far, far away. Right? He's just as much with the Christian here as he is with a pagan or with a Buddhist or with a rock in the ground or a lump of moss. But we shouldn't We should not confuse God's universe upholding everywhereness with the personal redemptive story of the Bible. Those are different ideas. Same God, different attributes of who he is. If we mix those up, and I think sometimes we do this, if we mix those up, then then Christmas gets really confusing. Christmas ends up something like, God just paying us a visit, kind of like a a dad who has abandoned his family long ago, but unexpectedly stops by the house one day. Kind kind of as a reminder, he's still out there. He loves us. He wants us to know he's paying attention. Then he leaves again. And that's that. Everything goes back to the way it had been. 
And I tell you, the further you get from Scripture, the less you read the Bible, the more likely you are to think of God in that way. Powerful, but distant. Loving, but in a kind of aloof, permissive, uninvolved way. God becomes, in your imagination, this impersonal, impersonal, unknowable force. But friends, God is not that way. That's an imaginary God. That's an idol. And frankly, that's not a very good idol. The God of the Bible is, in his very essence, relational. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. One essence, three persons. Everything God does, he does relationally. There's no act of God that he does outside of his tri-unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's simply who he is. That's how he acts. Think about creation in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit is there hovering over the face of this watery, formless earth The Father wills, the Son, the eternal Word of God, speaks, and the Spirit, the breath of God, brings life. He transforms the earth, Father, Son, and Spirit in creation. In our own salvation, the Father wills, the Son mediates, and the Spirit brings new life. In our Christian growth, the Father wills, the Son provides, and the Spirit brings forth growth and fruit. Now think about it in Christmas terms. We understand that at Christmas, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. We sing it, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We preach it. We understand that. And at the end of Matthew, if you're reading the, the Gospel of Matthew, at the beginning we get Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. And at the end, Jesus says, I will be with you always. To the end of the age. So here's here's kind of our question that we're going to wrestle with today. How is he with us? How is he Emmanuel if he died and resurrected and ascended into heaven where he now sits at the Father's right hand? And and that's where he is. That's where Stephen saw him in Acts. That's where he went when the disciples last saw him. At the beginning of Acts, Acts 1.9 says, As they were looking on, this is the disciples, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Physically, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, is in heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And we'll talk about the return of Christ next week. We anticipate that. We look forward to that. But in this age, what can we conclude from those couple of verses in Acts 1? Jesus is physically gone from the earth. He isn't here in the same way that he was with the disciples. So what does that mean? That means that that face on the Dorito that that guy's selling on Dorito or on eBay, that's that's not Jesus. That's powdered cheese product, okay? He's, He's not walking 
with Merle Haggard in a garden where the dew is still on the roses. He's not leaving mysterious footprints in the sand while he carries people on the beach. He's not driving Carrie Underwood's car on a snowy night. (laughs) Jesus Christ, our Savior, the incarnate Son of God, really is physically in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. It's very clear. So how is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, if he's not really with us in that sense? Well, that's what today's sermon's about, okay? And here's what I think has happened to us. In the right and good excitement over the Christ of Christmas, we sometimes overlook something else that was happening at the Incarnation when God became man. The Father willed it, right? And we thank Him for it. We praise Him for it. The Son became flesh, and we praise Him, and we sing songs about it, good songs that we look forward to. But remember, everything that God does, He does in relationship with Himself. Every person of the Godhead is active when God is acting. So where is the Spirit at Christmas? Well, if you read the Christmas story... Especially, and I would challenge you to do this or encourage you to do this, read the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel this week. Some of you probably do that as a tradition every Christmas day. Do that this week and look for the Spirit and you will find Him everywhere. If you're looking, you'll see God the Spirit with Jesus' mother, Mary. And God the Spirit is with her cousin, Elizabeth. And He's with the unborn baby, John the Baptist causes John the Baptist to leap in the womb. He's with Simeon and Anna at the temple when baby Jesus is dedicated. You get this sense from reading Luke's gospel that that the Spirit himself is guiding the the entire Christmas story. Because he is. He's moving the narrative along. And that makes sense because the prophets from long ago said that's how things would be. That's how they said it would happen. Many of the prophecies about the coming Christ include prophecies about the Spirit coming with Him. We've read these prophecies over and over and over again as we've studied Matthew, but we haven't really focused on the presence of the Spirit. So we're just going to look at them with the new lens today. In Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, there shall come one I'm sorry, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, that, that shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus. We sang about this earlier, O come thou root of Jesse's tree. Maybe you just sang it and you weren't paying attention, but that's what you sang. You were singing Isaiah 11. O come thou root of Jesse's tree. That is the promised anointed king that comes from the line of Jesse, David's father. But look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit shall rest upon him. So when the Messiah comes, the Holy Spirit's going to be resting on the Messiah. The Spirit gives this Messiah wisdom. He gives him understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Look at Isaiah 42. Again, if 
If you're trying to take notes, you're going to go too fast, but you can write these down, all right? In Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. Again, this is a Messiah promise from the Old Testament. And who is he? It's God's chosen servant. And who's with him? The Spirit. The Spirit's with him. The Lord says, I've put my Spirit upon him. Keep going in Isaiah. Isaiah 48, 16. We haven't read this one yet. This last year. This is the eternal Son himself speaking in Isaiah. And this is before Christmas. This is before he became flesh. But this is what he says. He says, draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I've not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. See it? The coming of the Messiah would come with the Holy Spirit. The Lord God has sent me and his spirit. They come together. They're sent together. And we see that fulfilled in the New Testament. In Matthew 1.18, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit was there at Christ's conception, at Jesus' conception. The Spirit was with the little boy Jesus when he went to the temple. Do you remember this story? If you're not, if you're not familiar with the, the Scripture, there's this story of Jesus goes into the temple and all the teachers there, he's young, he's like 10 or 11 or 12, and all the teachers there are amazed at his knowledge of the Scriptures. Where did he get that wisdom? The Spirit, who was with him. The Spirit was there at Christ's baptism. Matthew 3.16 And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Coming to rest on him. Where do, where do we see that? Isaiah 11, right? The Spirit came to rest on him, just like Isaiah said it would. In Isaiah 61 the Lord's servant says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So that's from Isaiah 61. But Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry in Nazareth, read that scroll. That's how he identified himself to everybody around him. As he begins his ministry, he's saying over and over, I am the one with the Spirit. Are you starting to see this relationship between the incarnate Son, God become flesh in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit who anointed him and dwelled with him? This is what that means for Jesus. Let me tell you, the incarnate Son in his humanity, Jesus, in his humanity, he exhibited the nature and character of God, not because he was God, but because the work of the Spirit in him. All right? The Spirit created in Jesus a new humanity that would perfectly bear the image of God, unmarred, without sin. That's what we read at the beginning of church today. Romans 8, 1 through 4, without sin. 
That's what we mean when we say that Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. He's the new Adam, the new creation, the new humanity. So when Jesus lived a perfect life, he did that not relying on his divinity, but by the power of the Spirit who dwelled in him. Jesus was born by the Spirit. We saw that. He lived by the Spirit. He spoke by the power of the Spirit. And that's why his words had authority. He cast out demons and healed the blind and the sick. He raised the dead. He saw into people's hearts. Not by relying on his divinity. But by the Spirit in him. Jesus learned obedience to the Father. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to the cross by the strength of the Spirit in him. He was resurrected by the power of the Spirit. You sing a theme? He is the one with the Spirit. Nearly everything that Jesus did that revealed to us that he was the Messiah, he did by the power of the Spirit in him. In fact, the very word Messiah or Christ, what does that mean? It means the anointed king. And by anointing, we mean Anointing by the Holy Spirit. And by Holy Spirit anointed, we mean that Jesus had the Spirit in a way no other human before him had had the Spirit. If you read the Old Testament, you're you're going to find lots of prophets and kings who had the Spirit. Even old Balaam, the Edomite. The guy who the donkey donkey talked to, he had the Spirit. But up until Christ, the work of the Spirit in humanity was usually just enough to accomplish God's purposes. Just enough. But when the Spirit was given to Jesus Christ, it wasn't just enough. It was overflowing. John 3.34 says, The Spirit was given to Jesus without measure. It just dumped, poured out on Jesus. Jesus had the fullness of God the Spirit dwelling within him. So what does that have to do with Christmas? With the coming of the Christ? Well, everything, doesn't it? Jesus would not have ever been called the Christ. He could not have received that title if he had not been anointed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit's coming with Jesus of Nazareth and anointing Jesus, there would be no Christmas. There'd be no Jesus without the Spirit. That still doesn't quite solve our problem, does it? How is Jesus Emmanuel, how is he God with us, if he's in heaven? Well, there's something else that the prophets said would happen. When the Christ would come. There's something else you need to know about the promise of the Christ. The Old Testament prophecies about the coming Christ told about a time after the Christ. When that spirit who anointed the Christ would be poured out on all people. God would be present with his people through the spirit. The prophet Joel, one of those minor prophets you probably don't read much. He puts it this way, Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Here's how the prophet Ezekiel puts it. Very similar. Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Look at this, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see that? The spirit, God will put his spirit in us. So there we saw there's this clear expectation that the Messiah would have the spirit. But there's also this parallel expectation that after he came, there would be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people everywhere. And that's exactly how the New Testament plays out when you read it. Jesus comes, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and towards the end of his ministry, he says to his disciples, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase this for you, he says, I'm leaving, you can't come with me, but it's better that I leave. And the disciples are like, how's it better that you leave? Because we like you. And in John 16, 7, Jesus says, It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The Helper, he tells us, is the Holy Spirit, the one who will be the presence of Christ with his people, the one who will proclaim Christ to his people and point them to Christ and remind them of Christ's words and and grow his people in Christ's likeness. And that's what happens. Just like Jesus said it would happen, it does. He's crucified. He dies. And three days later, he's resurrected. And 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And 10 days after that, the Spirit is poured out. He sends the Spirit. This is how Luke tells us about that coming of the Spirit. Acts 2 verses 1 through 4. It's on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, just so you know, it just means 50 days after Passover. So Pentecost, though we identify it with the Holy Spirit, the Jews are celebrating 50 days after the Passover. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Those, those tongues of fire are to remind you of the pillar of fire that led God's people in the wilderness. That was the Holy Spirit. So the divided tongues of fire appear to them and rest on each one of them. That resting of the Spirit, that's a reminder of the resting of the Spirit on Christ. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not going to focus on that part right now. But what happens, what's happening there is Peter is recognizing, as you, if you keep reading in Acts, Peter's going to say, All that just happened, verses 1 through 4, that fulfilled the prophecy that Joel gave us. That sending of the Spirit. When the Spirit would be poured out on men and women and all the way down to the servants. So that happened. The pouring of the Spirit happened. And that was just the beginning. As, as you read the story of Acts, as you, as you see the, the, the early church move forward, 
you see that the Spirit is poured out on Samaritans who come to Christ. And then you see the Spirit poured out on Gentiles who come to Christ. And now, truly, just like Joel said, all people, and by all, the Bible means all nations, all types of people, are receiving the promised Spirit. They're being convicted of sin, they're repenting, and they're calling on Christ, and the Spirit is making them new creations in Christ. And and then what happens with the early church? After that realization, once they realize that the Spirit has been poured out, that that's where they are in the redemptive story of Scripture, that salvation in Jesus is now for every tribe and every tongue and every nation, what does that do? That propels the church outward. It propels them to take the good news to every tongue and tribe and nation. They go to the corners of the earth because they know now that everywhere the gospel goes, the Spirit goes too. And the Spirit brings new life. And that's where we are. That's, that's what the Spirit does for us. He glorifies Christ in us and to us. He preaches Christ to us. He creates our hearts new in Christ. He unites us to Christ. He matures us in Christ. He makes us in the image of Christ. He gives us confidence in Christ. Essentially, the Holy Spirit sent from the Father brings us to Christ and Christ to us. So, by the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ is united to us. He's present with us. And He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That that answers our question. So now what I want to do with the rest of our time, and if you're a note taker, you can start now. What I want to do with the rest of our time is just answer this question. Who cares? Right? So what? That's That's a whole lot of Bible and that's a whole lot of theology that we just flew over really fast. And as your under shepherd who feeds you what the great shepherd has given us, I want you to know why this food is so good for you. Okay, so here's three points on why this matters. And if you're curious, I've just stolen these without shame from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is written in 1562. And I think they sum up very well why this matters. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? One, through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. Two, he comforts me. He comforts me. Three, he will remain with me forever. So let's just look at these as we finish our time this morning. He makes me share in Christ and all of his benefits. What does that mean? It's kind of old Reformation era language, isn't it? He makes me share in Christ and all of his benefits. Well, well, the Holy Spirit has many names as you read the New Testament. And one of those names is the Spirit of Adoption. Paul calls him that in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. Let me read that for us. He's encouraging the Roman church, and he says to this church, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Adoption, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's by the spirit that we recognize that the Father is our Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Jesus Christ has, has, through his death, made the way for you and I to be adopted as children of God. That's Christ's work. And it is the Holy Spirit who applies that work to you. That's why he's called the spirit of adoption. You're you're adopted because of his application of Christ's work to you. He unites us to Christ. So if you can just picture it, Jesus Christ, Son of God, is heir of all that God the Father has. And as we're united to Christ, we become co-heirs with Christ. You see the picture? We become heirs with Christ. All that Christ will receive, that is, all of creation, we will receive. By being heirs, sons and daughters, with Christ. So just think about that. Jesus Christ received resurrection from the dead. So will we. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. Christ received glory so will we. Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus Christ received strength and help from the Holy Spirit when he was weak. So do we. Romans 8.26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we're helped in our weakness by the Spirit. Jesus Christ received wisdom from the Holy Spirit. So do we. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world... But the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You keeping a tally? Jesus Christ resists, resisted temptation by the power of the Spirit in him. So can we. Romans 8:4 says, The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when we walk according to the Spirit, we resist temptation and live in obedience to God. Jesus Christ, in his earthly life, he exemplified the goodness of God by the power of the Spirit. And guess what? So can we. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in you is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Christian brothers and sisters, we share in Christ by the Spirit in us. All that you have in Christ, you have by the Spirit. And we have everything in Christ, don't we? The second application is that the Spirit comforts us as believers. That word comfort is from the Latin word cum forte, with strength. 
In our weakness, we are given this inner strength by the Spirit. In chaos, we're given peace by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. He is the one by whom we are in Christ. Look at this piece also that the early church had. I want to show you this. Acts 9, 31. I'm going to pull that up. I had not... I've read Acts a number of times. I, many of you have as well. I had not noticed this before. The Holy Spirit is just one of those persons of the Trinity. You can just kind of overlook Him, looking to Christ. But look at Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. This is after Paul became a Christian. Right, and So the church has peace. They're being built up. And look what these churches are doing. They're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied. And by multiplied, the, the church multiplied. Why? How? Because the people are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's no gimmicks. What's attractional about that church? They're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's what God provides. So do you want to see our church grow? Because I do. That's what we do. Walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It means live in obedience to Christ and be comforted. Look forward to Christ's return by the power of the Spirit working in you. It's a very simple church growth strategy, isn't it? Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So where, where, where does our hope come from? The Holy Spirit in us. The power of the Spirit in us gives us hope. He comforts us. So when you're in a trial, the Holy Spirit will comfort you by bringing to your mind the Word of God. He'll remind you you're in Christ. He'll remind you of all those benefits that we just read, all those Bible verses. Holy Spirit's going to remind you of those. Those sermons from long, long ago that you thought you forgot. The Spirit will remind you of those and comfort you with those truths. That song that, that puts the Word of God in your heart. When that comes to mind, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you of the truths of the gospel. He will remind you of Christ's work for you. That's his job. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit in you reminds you of Christ's work for you. That's what he does. He glorifies Christ in your heart. He guides you in all truth, as Jesus tells his disciples in John. The Spirit will give you hope in Christ when you feel hopeless and far from Christ. The Spirit will remind you of the forgiveness that you have in Christ when you are feeling worthless and wretched and unsavable. The Spirit will embolden you in Christ. He will build up a fortress around you in Christ and protect you and keep you in Christ. And that's a comfort. 
That is a comfort. You know what he also does? He also manifests, it means he makes his presence known. He manifests his presence to you through other believers. And that's also a comfort. Have you ever come to church just totally feeling, I mean, empty? Dry, feeling nothing. And then have you ever just sat and listened to other believers sing? Because though you wanted to, you didn't have the strength that day. And what happens then? You're lifted up, aren't you? You're encouraged, you're strengthened, you're comforted by those songs sung to you by the body of Christ. You know why that is? Ephesians 5.18 says that that is, it's by the Spirit that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So just walk with me here. It's being through being filled with the Spirit that another believer is able to encourage you when she sings songs to you that are rich in gospel truth. You, you picking that up? So it's the Spirit encouraging you when you hear the gospel sung to you by another believer. That's good. That's why we choose biblically rich songs. That's also why we just sing. That's why we sing. Listen, if you're a Christian, but for some reason, you regularly choose not to sing, whether it's because you don't like to sing, or you feel like you can't sing, or you're voting against the song selection of that day, did you know that in your silence, you're neglecting your brothers and sisters who benefit, who are comforted by you, by the Spirit working through you when you sing? You're neglecting them out of selfishness. So, sing, Christian. Sing. It's not about you. Your entire salvation is not about you. But it's, it's about glorifying, magnifying Christ. So sing to Him and let the Spirit sing through you to the body of Christ. Well, the last of those three points we read is that the Holy Spirit remains with us forever. Remember that the Holy Spirit remains with us forever. Where do we get that? Well, when Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit, you're going to see that mostly in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And when he promises the sending of the Spirit in John 14, 15, this is what he says. He's talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is the first helper, Okay. That the Spirit is another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Another helper. Some of your Bibles say counselor. Some of your Bibles say advocate. King James says comforter. And I think we we get so excited about that part, because it's good news. We get caught up on it, that the Spirit is coming. The Father and Son are sending the Spirit. And He's going to be an advocate on our behalf. And then we just kind of stop there. We get excited about Him coming. That We have an advocate now here with us, and that's good enough news. But look at the end of verse 16. I think I've got that on there. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
forever. Have you noticed that before? Forever? That means when you die and go to heaven, who is with you? Spirit is with you. When, when Jesus returns to earth as the conquering king and we're resurrected and we receive our glorified bodies, the spirit will still be with us. 10,000 years from now, the spirit will still be with us. 10 million years from now, the spirit will still be with us. Forever from now, the spirit will still be with us. He is sent to be with us forever. He's going to keep teaching us forever. He's going to keep pointing us to Jesus Christ forever. He's going to keep comforting us. He will keep unifying us together as the body of Christ. He will keep us unified to Christ. It's because of the Spirit's presence with us that nothing can separate us from Christ. As Paul says, not death, not life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? How's that possible? Because the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is made known to us through the Spirit. We are in union with the eternal Christ, the Son of God, through the Spirit. And praise God, the Spirit will always be with us, so we will always be in union with Christ. Christian, you are a Christian because of the Spirit's work in you. And Jesus Christ will always be glorified in you forever and ever. Because the Spirit will be in you and with you forever and ever. Amen? Amen. It's good news. Let's pray.